Welcome to the Fueling the Future podcast, where we get to the bottom of issues, trends, and developments in future fuels and vehicles. I'm your host, Tammy Klein, Principal Consultant with Future Fuel Strategies, and with me today is Executive Director Ken Dragoon of the Renewable Hydrogen Alliance. Welcome to the program, Ken. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you. So let me tell you all a little bit about Ken. Ken was the founding inspiration for the Renewable Hydrogen Alliance and provides management services through his consulting firm, Flink Energy Consulting. He has 35 years of experience in the electric power industry, focusing on the interactions between variable renewable resources and the electric grid. He began his career in hydropower planning and modeling and transitioned to managing other renewable resources in 2003. He's worked for many distinguished uh, organizations, including Schlumberger, Ecofis, Northwest Power and Conservation Council, Renewable Northwest, Pacific Corps, Bonneville Power Administration, and so forth. And he authored Valuing Wind Generation on Integrated Power Systems and holds an MS in Physics from the University of New Hampshire. Again, welcome to the program, Ken. It's great to have you uh, with us. Um, So to dive right into the questions, can you tell us about the Renewable Hydrogen Alliance and what it does? Yes, thank you. Renewable Hydrogen Alliance is a 501c6 trade association whose mission is to promote using renewable electricity to make clean fuels, hydrogen, of course, being the the primary one. Uh, we have, we were established uh, under two years ago at the time of this recording, but we now have more than 60 members representing a very diverse set of industries that includes gas and electric utilities, clean energy advocacy groups folks in the hydrogen production and fuel cells, hydrogen vehicle manufacturers, electrolyzer manufacturers, transit agencies, consultants, law firms, developers, and we're we're really proud to uh, have Mitsubishi Hitachi Power Systems, our first uh, actual turbine manufacturer, join us just this last week. So we're growing strong, and it's really quite amazing how far we've come in the time that we've had. The diversity of our membership has been some of the power that we've had. We have done some lobbying as a 501c6. We can do that. And I was able to stand in front of legislative groups and uh, committees, I should say, and point out that our members are folks who are normally fighting in front of them (laughs) and all in favor (laughs) of Bill to promote uh, using electricity and make hydrogen. This uh, one bill, SB 5811 in Washington State, passed, uh, was proposed by a Republican, signed into law by a Democrat running for president at the time, and, and passed both houses without a single dissenting vote. So we're very pleased about that. So lobbying is part of what we do, a lot of education and outreach, uh, things like this podcast, also information sharing among among our members, and promoting policies and regulations. Uh, through our lobbying outreach efforts. Uh, Two of our our big issues is raise awareness of producing fuels from electricity as a form of long-term storage that lots of people are prospecting for madly, thinking we need new technology to do that. Technology is here if we just recognize it. And uh, 
and to promote that uh, when people talk about transportation electrification, it's not just battery vehicles, but if we can make hydrogen from electricity, fuel cell electric vehicles are electric vehicles. So those are some of the two of the big sort of central messages that we're promoting today. There's mm-hmm. a lot of work ahead because there's a, a lot of lack of information among members of the public and even legislators about how far hydrogen has come. Just to take a step back, especially for listeners who may not be so familiar with the subject, can you talk about how renewable electricity can actually be used to make hydrogen? And then we'll go more into some of the comments that you, you've just made about, you know, educating and, and kind of where hydrogen, how you see hydrogen sort of unfolding. Because what I do seeing a lot of a lot of interesting things happening in the space. But first things first. Tell us about renewable electricity and and how one can create hydrogen out of that. I think a fair question is, why are we talking about this now? Why is this organization two years old and moving so quickly? It's a fair question. The technology basically uses electricity and water. It turns out that if you pass an electric current through water, the H2O splits into H2 and O. It's uh, as simple as taking wires off of each of the pole of a battery and putting them in a cup of water, you'll start seeing bubbles uh, come up. And uh, around one electrode is hydrogen, around the other electrode is oxygen. This uh, was discovered 200 years ago, so it's not that part is not new. There are improvements to that technology. So there's basically now technology version of that, which is basically a solid state version. And uh, it's it's the same Technology runs in reverse to to run hydrogen cars. You take hydrogen and oxygen, it makes electricity. It runs both ways. Those are called fuel cells. So that part's not new. What's sort of new is um, that we're relying on increasing amounts of wind and solar, and wind and solar have become the lowest cost sources of electricity in much of the country and much of the world. And because of the variability, if we're going to meet our average needs or some significant fraction of our average needs with wind and solar, we're going to have these big surpluses of electricity. That is, more power off of wind and solar than people are actually demanding at the time that they're being created. So this is the, the notion of energy storage. But we can actually use those surpluses of electricity in the device, which is called an electrolyzer, splitting water into hydrogen to make a fuel, which is uh, useful in driving cars and lots of lots of other industrial processes and heating, everything you use natural gas for, you could use hydrogen for. It has no carbon footprint. And because we now have a supply of low-cost, zero-carbon electricity, this is a big deal now. And only really in the last few years, because wind and solar penetration levels have gotten high enough to where there's a lot of surplus electricity running around. They've seen this in Europe, started deploying these devices by the dozens, and that's caused the capital cost of the devices to drop rapidly, a uh, factor of two in just a few years. And and those economies of scale are, are nowhere near through. The cost of this technology is dropping quickly, and so is the cost of electricity to make the fuel itself. So that's kind of what's going on. Yeah, it's really amazing to see the various assorted breakthroughs related to hydrogen. I mean, it's, it just seems like 
it's not that hydrogen ever went away, but there definitely seems to be a, like a revival and it, it's, it's related to, you know, these breakthroughs, the electrolyzer piece being part of that. It's really pretty amazing. So how do you see the development of renewable electricity unfolding here in, in the U.S.? And then, you know, from that, you know, renewable hydrogen, you know, what's the potential? So that's, you know, for the U.S. And then, you know, how do you see the potential in, in Europe, which is also, I mean, they are, the Europeans are really, really working on hydrogen and then also in other parts of the world. Yes, the United States is lagging because our penetration levels of renewables are lower than in Europe. And also hydrogen is a fuel like natural gas. And as I said, you can sort of substitute it for natural gas as the advantage of no carbon footprint. But natural gas in the United States is far cheaper than it is in Europe. So yeah. they have more abundant electricity for this purpose. And, and the value of the product, the hydrogen, is, is higher in Europe than it is here, uh, where they don't have any indigenous sources of, of natural gas. Yeah, the development of renewable hydrogen and renewable electricity kind of go hand in hand. If we're going to re use renewable electricity, wind and solar, to meet a high fraction or even all of our electrical needs, we're going to have these kinds of huge surpluses. And the alternative today is just turning off the renewables. And even though here in the, I'm in Portland, Oregon, and our organization is mostly active in the Northwest part of the US, although we have members around the country and Canada and Europe, we're sort of focused here. The Northwest is sort of special because it starts out with almost 50% of our electricity coming coming from hydropower. And we have about 9% in this region, uh, mostly wind and, and some solar. But we're already having to turn away this sort of free power, curtail wind mostly, when the markets just are saturated. And that's only at 9%. And we have plans, Oregon, Washington, California, all have plans for getting to 100% renewable electricity. There was a study that suggested once you get to 40% penetration, you're going to have more renewable electricity than there is demand for about half of all hours. So the development of renewable electricity and renewable hydrogen really go hand in hand. And there are a number of studies that show that there's an optimal amount, really, of, of this technology that needs to be deployed to absorb some fraction of the surpluses in making clean fuels if you want to minimize the cost of getting to 100% renewables. And, and in fact, I would argue you can't get to 100% renewable electricity without using renewable electricity to make synthetic fuels that can be stored in conventional storage like gas pipelines or, or fuel tanks if you make a liquid fuel to run in conventional, even existing power plants to convert back to electricity. We can have these high-pressure weather systems that can sit over a multi-state area. And while they sit there, there's no wind happening within those areas. We've seen that not uncommon for a week of no wind in the winter in a northern latitude where we are, where solar can't really fill in. And to replace all of our gas and coal-fired turbines with batteries to cover a week or two weeks of low wind output would cost many tens of times more 
then the actual renewables get to 100%. So a lot of analysts say it can't be done. But on the other hand, you could be using the renewable electricity when it's available to make fuels to cover those few days or weeks in the in the winter when you, you can't otherwise, you don't otherwise have enough renewable wind and solar to get you through. So really, it's the only technology available today to get us through that. What are the costs like right now for renewable hydrogen? And, and how do you see them in, you know, 10 years, you know, 20 years? Because it seems like, just like you were talking about earlier, I mean, the, the costs of electrolyzers are already dropping. And I've seen some forecasts from Bloomberg, you know, where they really, really are expected to, to decrease by 2030. So how do you all see that happening or unfolding? Yeah, well, I see that as a big challenge, first of all, because the dates that you pick, like 2030, by 2030, the hydrogen will cost X or Y, really depends on the rate at which we deploy it. The faster we deploy it, the faster those costs will come down. There are huge economies of scale. I talked to one manufacturer of an electrolyzer who said, Ken, you know, today we still make these things largely by hand the devices that split water into hydrogen and oxygen. He said, if we were making them at scale, we could print them. (laughs) The cost, so first of all, to talk about cost, we have to talk about how hydrogen is denominated. Uh, So we talk about hydrogen in terms of, that is an amount of hydrogen is talked about in kilograms or tons, thousands of kilograms. So a kilogram of hydrogen in order to give people some idea of what that is, it's the energy equivalent of about a gallon of gasoline. Itself a little bit confusing because if you use it in an actual vehicle, you get twice the mileage out of that gallon, uh, that kilogram, because uh, fuel cell cars are twice as efficient as internal combustion cars. But anyway, kilogram of hydrogen is sort of the basic unit. The other number to know is it takes 55 to 60 kilowatt hours to make a kilogram of hydrogen. I know this is too many numbers already, <laughs> so we'll say 60 kilowatt hours. So the average price of electricity here in the Northwest has been around three cents a kilowatt hour in the wholesale market. So three cents times 60 kilowatt hours per kilogram gives you a dollar eighty a kilogram. So that's like dollar eighty a gallon gasoline, but if you put it in the mm-hmm. car, it's like ninety cents a gallon gasoline. Now that's just the production cost. You have to add to that the capital cost. But keep in mind this three cents that I I said that's sort of the average wholesale price here in the Northwest. That's been dropping as we increase the amount of renewables in the market. You know, at, at times the prices go to zero or even negative. So as we build out the renewables. We build them faster than we take out coal plants. The wholesale prices will go down from there, and also wind and solar costs are dropping too. So everything's moving at one time. But sort of the basic economics today, you think of about a dollar eighty a kilogram, which is sort of like ninety cent a gallon gasoline. Then you have mm-hmm. the capital cost. It costs something to build the electrolyzer, and as I said, the cost of that has dropped a factor of two in just a few years. And 
the expectation is that it will drop by more than a factor of two in the next few years. But all of that depends on the rate at which we deploy these things. And in the U.S., unfortunately, we're not. We don't really have big plans to deploy these, unlike Europe, which is planning billion-dollar <laughs> investments in this technology. And yeah. the electrolyzer and the Chinese are talking about it now. I mean, that's what's the amazing, Chinese, you know. Japanese and Australia, yeah. this is a Koreans. very big deal. Yeah, especially in places that don't have sources of fossil fuels or are serious about getting off of them. Hydrogen yeah. is a great option. So the capital costs are coming down. Today, if you could get $0.03 cent per kilowatt hour power and the capital costs that we're seeing in the, for electrolyzers today, we think we can make it for about $4 a kilogram here in the Northwest. But there's just a paper released today as we record this. I haven't been able to read yet from the U.S. Department of Energy talks about this and, and how we can get to under $2 a kilogram. From what I did see, that, that, looks, that looks plausible. It's a question of getting the policies in place to promote this so that we can get to those cheap prices. Under $2 a kilogram, it's now really competitive with fossil sources of hydrogen, which I should mention. Today, in the U.S., we produce about 10 million tons of hydrogen a year. Most of that goes for refining oil, which we hope we won't be doing a lot of that in the future. And then the second biggest use of hydrogen is for making ammonia, but for fertilizer, uh, for agricultural uses. But also it goes into concrete and, or it goes into steel manufacturing, semiconductor manufacturing. I think it could go into concrete, which is a way to decarbonize that. So there's a lot of hydrogen already out there. The way it's made today, predominantly, like 95, 98, 99% is by using natural gas and combining it with steam. It's called steam methane reformation. Mm -hmm. And it makes a lot of environmentalists very nervous for us to be talking about the importance of hydrogen because they know that today it all virtually all comes from fossil hydrogen. Of course, the whole purpose of our organization is to replace all that with renewable hydrogen. And the quicker we do that, the, the quicker the prices will drop. Yeah. So is renewable hydrogen the same? Because you see like blue, green, gray, <laughs> all uh, of the colors. Yeah. And actually a client, <laughs> a client in, in the industry asked me, you know, well, what's the difference between all of these, you know, colors of colors of hydrogen? I mean, maybe that's worth explaining. So is renewable hydrogen, I would assume, is green hydrogen. Well, <laughs> therein lies <laughs> the tale and complications. <laughs> I didn't think about it when we named the organization, but yeah, it's really interesting. It's sort of a, a big issue. So my definition of renewable hydrogen, for the purposes of my organization at least, is hydrogen that is derived from renewable electricity and water. But there are other ways of, of making hydrogen, and some of them are called green hydrogen. For example, or renewable hydrogen, it in California, there are 42 or 43 hydrogen fueling stations servicing 8,250 or so hydrogen passenger vehicles that are in California today. And many of those, uh, there's a state law that requires those fueling stations 
to offer at least 33% renewable hydrogen. Well, almost all of the stuff that's in those stations called renewable hydrogen today is actually hydrogen produced in the conventional way using natural gas with biogas offsets. So they are actually purchasing biogas that's fed into a natural gas pipeline, and they get credit for that when they make the hydrogen from the conventional resource. And some environmentalists think thinks that's terrible. I'm sort of agnostic about it, but anyway, it's not not in our mission. And there are there are other ways going directly from biomass to hydrogen, and those are very interesting. And it's just not not our our bailiwick for our organization. You mentioned green, blue, and gray hydrogen as a European thing, which they have their own controversies. <laughs> but <laughs> so green hydrogen is hydrogen from electricity. I don't think it's necessarily renewable electricity, but hydrogen from electricity. Since we're going to 100% renewable on the electric grid, where the electricity comes from today is sort of not as not all that important because eventually all of it will be from renewables. But Anyway, so that's sort of green hydrogen, and these biological sources are probably included in that. And then there's blue hydrogen, which is hydrogen in the conventional way using natural gas. But in that process of making hydrogen with natural gas, one of the uh, the main uh, effluent of that is carbon dioxide. So blue hydrogen is sequestering the carbon dioxide off of the conventional hydrogen. And then gray hydrogen is just the regular hydrogen from natural gas and steam. So we talked a little bit about about costs, and you mentioned policy. So to really see this taking off in uh, the U.S. or continuing to to grow in the U.S. and and actually even around the world, what kinds of policies really need to be in place? Are we talking about Carbon pricing, carbon taxation, specific use policies. Is there something else? And, you know, do you see that happening, especially in this pandemic that we're in, where the, you know, oil industry is in a, in a spot of trouble? How do you see that kind of lining up as best as you can, you can say today? Yeah, good question. Not an easy question to answer. Let me, start never by saying, <laughs> let me start by saying that the first thing to overcome is a lack of awareness. You know, there are 8,200 hydrogen cars running around. You can buy them <laughs> if you live in California, and you could buy more of them if there were fuel stations around you. So fueling stations are one of the barriers that can use some support. I would say that awareness is a big issue. We There are 50 hydrogen transit buses running around the United States today. The transit agencies that own them just love them. The battery buses, so they're more efficient. They, they have some advantages, but they have a shorter range and a fairly long recharging cycle. And they take a lot of infrastructure at the bus barns to recharge. And because of the issues of the time for recharging and the shorter range, you can't just change out all of your all of your diesel buses for battery electric buses today. They just don't have the, the range. You'd need somewhere between 1.3 and 2 
battery electric buses for each diesel bus. But the hydrogen buses are one for one trade. But, you know, their cost, the fuel costs more. The buses cost more mainly because they're not making very many of them. But big barrier is people don't even know that they exist. We have in the state of Washington, there are some mandates for transportation electrification, also Oregon. And one of our concerns is that those plans for electrification don't even consider fuel cell electric vehicles because they don't think of the hydrogen as, as being a part of transportation electrification. So that's a big uphill battle. Um, there are hydrogen transit trains running around Europe. Uh, San Bernardino, California has ordered what would be the first one in the U.S. There are San Francisco's making a hydrogen ferry. It won't be the first in the world. It'll be the first in the U.S. probably. Toyota, Nikola, and I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the Hyundai, all are making hydrogen heavy-duty trucks with same range as uh, and carrying capability as diesels. Really cool stuff going on. Most people aren't aware of it. So you're a policymaker and you're thinking, you know, what should we do for climate? You're not often thinking about, or too often, they're not thinking about hydrogen. I actually think that's a fair point because I think if even if you look in the New Green Deal, for example, I don't think there's, there. of course, there's reference to electrification, but I don't think there are references to to hydrogen. So, I mean, even at the, the highest levels from people who are supposedly in the know, they aren't really, I mean, the big issue I see is a failure to just think holistically about the transportation, transport in general, and to really be sort of myop, myopically uh, focused you know, on one type of fuel or, or one type of vehicle when, you know, it could be a range of different fuel types and vehicle types. I mean, that is that is an attractive feature about low-carbon fuel standards, you know, for example. I mean, it is fairly agnostic when it comes to that. But even in, in that kind of legislation, I mean, that's supposed to be the gold standard of climate. And I don't think there's any mention of hydrogen in that legislation, which is interesting. There's the federal um, RINS program, Renewable, I forget what it stands for, Identification mm-hmm. Number System or something mm-hmm. like that. Renewable uh, fuel hydrogen, mm-hmm. hydrogen from electrolysis does, does not qualify for that. Low carbon fuel standards, California has one, Oregon has one, Washington may be adopting one in their next legislative session, we hope. Other states I don't know about, but we're very supportive of that. We think we can... For example, here in the Northwest, where we have an abundance of renewable electricity, both from wind and, and from the hydro system, we think we can make hydrogen for about the value of low-carbon fuel credit. Um, so that's very supportive of that. There's also data centers, backup power. We, we spoke to one uh, data center operator who said we like to have two days' worth of backup power. These are diesel engines and diesel generators, and they have enough diesel to run them for two days if they need to. They said, we don't have air quality permits to allow us to do that. And so they're looking into hydrogen, which was very exciting to me. They would have to have liquid hydrogen storage tanks to get over two days, but that would aid, could potentially add peaking resources to the local utility uh, who could use that when they're not being needed for backup power. 
and the storage could be a regional facility for transportation uses. We get a lot of interest from ports. The ports are big emitters of both criteria pollutants, uh, like particulate matter and nitrogen oxide, as well as carbon dioxide. And, and they know they have to reduce their emissions. And battery vehicles won't really do it for them, and they know that. And when we approach them about hydrogen vehicles, where there can be a one-for-one replacement, they're very excited. But most of the the material handling machines and the drage vehicles, they're owned by the operators and don't have a lot of money. So lots of room for policy improvement. So we should have some funds available or at least uh, favorable financing terms for diesel off-road vehicle owners to switch over to alternative fuels. Hydrogen's one of them. There's something called a renewable diesel, which is does have some emissions, but it has a non-fossil origin. If the hydrogen takes hydrogen to make that stuff, if the hydrogen comes from renewable sources, so that's another potential. And then, you, then the renewable diesel is completely interchangeable with uh, diesel vehicles. So we could have a transition away from diesel vehicles to renewable diesel to eventually hydrogen for those medium and heavy-duty transportation needs. And also, I've been shopping around the idea of a standard for utilities burning gas. I have gas-burning power plants that they would have to make as many BTUs of gas that they burn, they would have to make as hydrogen. And maybe that ramps in at first, maybe it's only 10%, but eventually at 100%. because at the end, when we get to 80 or 90% renewables and we have to run gas plants for 10 or 20%, they, at that point, we can afford to run those on hydrogen or at least offset by hydrogen. We could use investment tax credits for hydrogen infrastructure, renewable gas standards. In fact, our Oregon natural gas utility pushed through a bill to give them the right to get rate recovery for a voluntary renewable gas standard. And they are looking directly at doing hydrogen. We're all for renewable or biogas projects, but they they tend to be difficult to do. They're not cheap. They're not particularly scalable. And ultimately, there just won't be enough of them. And that's why the gas utilities are interested in us. They they just don't see another option for getting to decarbonization goals. Those are the things that we're thinking about today. I think that's one of the the interesting things about hydrogen because you really have to, what what makes it appealing is its versatility in terms of its use in different sectors and its potential for large-scale wide scale up and and usability. I mean, you know, and the fact that you you don't have, you know, some of the issues that you're you're describing with maybe some of the the renewable fuels. I mean, you know, those are facts. And, you know, and then there's, you know, feedstock issues that that may arise or may not, depending on what the, the producer is using. And you really don't have that with hydrogen. I mean, there are other issues which, you know, we've been talking about in this podcast. I mean, there's no perfect silver bullet solution, but I think that's what makes hydrogen so attractive is it really is, you know, it's really versatile. 
versatile yeah. across transport sectors, but versatile, you know, outside of, of transport sectors and its scalability uh, as well. As I mentioned, this Gnosis Renewable Diesel is one example, but you can actually take hydrogen and combine it with carbon dioxide to make methane, which makes it completely interchangeable 100% in the natural gas system. A lot of folks don't like that because they want to see the natural gas system go away. But from there, you could make methanol. Of course, you can make ammonia, which can be used as a fuel. We have one of our members is really interested in formic acid. Hydrogen is a little difficult to store. You have to do it under great pressure or very low temperatures. So there's that's why folks are looking at methanol and ammonia and formic acid even, some other things as carriers for the hydrogen. You can make anything up to and including jet fuel. Uh, we also um, do have, there are a couple of, at least a couple of, companies that are making hydrogen aircraft. And in fact, there's a, that's manned aircraft, I should say. There's a thriving industry in using hydrogen fuel cells for, for powering drones because they have about three times the range as, as the batteries do. Um, and that's what we're seeing uh, applications and forklifts. There are about 28,000 hydrogen forklifts running around um, warehouses in the U.S. Many of them have been converted uh, battery forklifts because the batteries have shorter range and longer refueling times. And when you're operating a warehouse and things are going 24-7, having a vehicle that can refuel quickly and go just as far as conventional ones is, is a huge advantage. So last question, are there other sorts of, of barriers and, and challenges that are really facing the, the sector? Yeah, well, we have members who are very interested in producing hydrogen. Finding markets for green hydrogen uh, is a, is difficult. So, for example, green, green ammonia or fossil-free fertilizer, that's a market that would need to be ginned up. Creating markets um, in British Columbia, they have a 15% renewable standard for the gas system. That would help with that. The other challenge we didn't really talk about is just the scale. As I said, this is completely scalable. But today, the total manufacturing capability is only probably on the order of about 500 megawatts of electrolyzers a year. That's not a huge amount compared to the size of the problem. Now, the manufacturers are scaling up. You can look at their annual reports and see revenue growth at double and triple digits year over year. So they are scaling up, and we think that the the manufacturing capability will soon double with a couple of new manufacturing facilities in Europe going in. But we need to scale up much more, much further than where we are, and um, it's going to take some investment. So it's all about the money as usual. <laughs> All right, that's the show. Thanks so much for listening. I want to thank Ken for being on the show today. It was a pleasure to talk to you about renewable hydrogen. And if you're looking for more analysis on future fuels issues, head to my website, futurefuelstrategies.com, and sign up for my free biweekly newsletter. Thanks again. 